0: I do have a card. I thought I had. Well, I have good news for you. We're back in the Gospels starting this morning. We stopped shortly before Thanksgiving. I had to look on the internet to see when we last time we were in the Gospels. And we talked about some very important stuff in the meantime. We taught about the importance of giving to God with the right attitude. That's pretty important, don't you think? Yeah. You can be a grudging giver or you can be a cheerful giver. And then we talked through the book, When the Church Was a Family. We finished that up. And now we're back in the Gospels. And where we last left off, I had to look and see. It was Zechariah's song back in Luke 1, 67. And it was John the Baptist's father broke out in song over the fact that his son would be a prophet of the Most High God, preparing the way for the Messiah who was to come. All that was a lead-in to today. And today we're going to talk about who that Messiah is, we obviously know, how he came into the world, and most importantly, why. Obviously, going over the birth narratives of Jesus Christ could take many months, Possibly even a few years going over every detail, but because we want to get straight to his ministry, I'm going to cover all of it in one service, and I hope in 45 minutes. I've been able to do that so far, and uh, Pastor Jeff will bring the next part, the part I don't do tonight, uh, this morning, next week. Now the passages concerning the birth of Christ come at a rather odd time of year, don't you think? Normally, we would teach this subject during Christmas when a tree is the centerpiece of the living room. All the decorations are up. Lights are around the roofs of our houses. And parents everywhere are double-checking their credit limits. But I think this is a great time to speak of the Savior's birth because there are no distractions. There's no clutter. There's not a lot of stuff like shopping and doing this and thinking about the relatives coming in. No, we can focus on the most important event in history when God came to earth as a baby. Now why was this so important? Why was the birth of Jesus the apex of human history? This was an event, remember, that was so monumental that the historical designation of time changed from B.C. before Christ to A.D., Anno Domini, Latin for the year of our Lord. All of time changed. Well, we need some perspective. And it all started back in Genesis, in the beginning. When everything that God created was good. Mankind had perfect fellowship with God. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had perfect access to him. It was paradise. Then the bad news. There's always bad news when things are going good. Have you ever noticed this? The other shoe does drop. There was bad news. And this is really bad news. The fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and their fellowship was broken. Sin entered the world and the whole human race was plunged into rebellion against God. Sin separated all people from God. Everyone was under his wrath, judgment, and condemnation. But there was good news. The good news is after bad news, there's usually good news. And this is the best news ever. A promise of restoration. When God said to this serpent, that devil of old in Genesis 3.15, who's still with us today, unfortunately, this was the promise given in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Why is that good news? Let me explain. There would be a constant battle between satanic forces and mankind. Who has experienced that? Sheesh. Between Satan and the woman, and between their respective offspring. There would be war. The offspring of the woman was all mankind. Then Jesus Christ, and then all those in Him. The devil's offspring, all those whose father is the devil. Here's the promise. Satan would cripple mankind by striking his heel. But the Messiah, the Savior, would do this to Satan. Crush your head. This was the promise from the beginning. He is coming. A Savior is coming. Through all the Old Testament books, we are continually reminded that a Savior is coming. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet and mediator like Moses. A savior is coming. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings, and Chronicles, our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. And in Nehemiah, this isn't in your notes. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of everything that is broken. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. A savior is coming. In Job, he's our innocent sufferer. In Psalms, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, our loving bridegroom, a Savior is coming. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, our righteousness. In Lamentations, our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the Son of Man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man. In the fiery furnace, a Savior is coming. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying in the midst of the years, revive your work. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Jesus is coming. Then there's 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testaments. And finally... Finally, after thousands of years of waiting, Jesus came. You know, if we were Pentecostal, right now would be a great time to say hallelujah, Hallelujah. praise the Lord, thank you Jesus, praise God. So let's try it again. Jesus came. What difference has Jesus Christ made in your life? It's simple to come to church week after week, to hang out with God's people, to cloister ourselves as monks, and forget about the importance of Jesus Christ and what a difference he made in our lives. These people waited thousands of years for him to come. We hear it, and we, it's, it's almost like, like hearing the weather report. It's easy, right? Because we're Americans. There's a Christian heritage. And sometimes Jesus loses the specialness. Well, He's more than special. He's our Messiah who saved us. Jesus came. Matthew 1, 18-21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The name Jesus is a form of the Hebrew Joshua, Yeshua or Jehoshua, which means Jehovah will save. All other men who had these names testified by their names of the Lord's salvation. But Mary's son not only testified of God's salvation, but he himself would be that salvation. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to save people from their sins. Jesus came to save people from their sins. The creator of the universe put on human flesh and entered human society as a baby. 2,000 years ago, the Lord of heaven came to earth. The all-powerful God became a helpless baby. The perfect lamb of God came to be the perfect sacrifice. The sinless one came to become sin for us. Max Lucado writes this. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became piercable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Jesus had to have human parents. God had to become a man or he would have had little compassion on our condition. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. That's why we sing, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hell the incarnate deity. On the other hand, if Jesus had two human parents, he would have been contaminated by humanity tainted with sin and could not save us from ours. Thankfully, he was born of a sinner and yet sinless because he was equally born of God. He was 100% man and 100% God. Now how many engineers do we have in the room today? We all know that 100% man and 100% God, that doesn't equal up there's something wrong with those numbers that's the miracle I can't explain it and truthfully no apologist can really explain it we can try but to an unsaved person that makes no sense a virgin birth makes no sense but God in his wisdom did it in this way where we believe by faith how many of you believe these facts to be true If you don't, you're not saved because you're worshiping another god. I met a Mormon man who came in uh, on my pastor on duty shift last week. And this guy thought, as a Mormon, that Thor could be a god. You know, the Mormons have some strange theology, but this was mixed in with mythology as well. And if we're not careful, we can be taken in. We have to know what we believe. He was 100% man and 100% God. Deity canceled humanity's curse. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Matthew 1, through 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came... To be with us. Came to be with us. God is not some distant deity. He's not hiding. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied that he would dwell among people. In the Old Testament, God promised repeatedly that he would be with his people. His divine presence was symbolized by the tabernacle and the temple. But now, Jesus had come. He came to be with us. Hey, if you were God, would you want to be with me? Much less you. God chose. God chose to be with us. Charles Spurgeon explains how God can be with you. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And if you would find God, you must find him in the person of Jesus the Nazarene, who is also the Son of the Highest. You will find Jesus by believing Him, trusting Him, resting upon Him. When you have trusted Jesus, you have found God in Jesus, for He has said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Then have you come to God when you have believed in Jesus Christ. Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's interesting how God works in different people, isn't it? Mary was told ahead of time that she would be pregnant with the Holy Spirit, while Joseph was kept entirely in the dark about God's plan. Joseph, by the way, didn't have the best honeymoon. But, he was obedient to God and his purposes for Mary and Jesus despite the difficulty they both faced, they trusted God what hard thing has God entrusted you with we all have difficulties in our life God gives them to us as gifts how will we respond to those gifts we don't look at them as such But when these difficulties and these trials and these temptations and these problems and these uh, come, we have the opportunity to thank God and praise God and trust God in ways that we can't trust Him when things are going well. Will you be obedient even though the situation is long and hard? Will you still trust the Lord in the midst of the storm, the confusion? A disappointment? Because Mary and Joseph trusted God, Christ the Savior was born through them. Dave Spur wrote this little poem, The Greatest Gift in History, Almighty God Becoming Man. He left his throne and slept on straw in keeping with salvation's plan. Now the birth narratives continue in Luke's Gospel. Luke 2 1 through 5, in your notes they'll say Luke 1, change that to Luke 2, it's my mistake. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. In God's sovereignty, he arranged for a pagan ruler to plan a census, a census to be taken to fulfill God's plan that the Messiah would be born in the right place, at the right time, in the right way, according to prophecy. Some would call this a coincidence. I have a better phrase for this. I call these God incidents. Whenever those strange things happen, unexpectedly that show you a taste of God, and we've all had them, right? Those little God incidences where God reveals himself in a strange way, like the kids say, Yes, Mom. Oh, wow. And even better than that, Some strange thing happens where you just go, whoa, that was from God. I didn't expect that to happen. You you know what I'm talking about, right? We know God primarily speaks through his word. But every now and then he gives us his little glimpses of heaven to show he's there. A little pat on the back, a little kiss on the cheek, a little holy hug from the Lord. And what's funny is you will have these God incidences... And you will tell somebody, and they'll, they'll nod their head, but inwardly they're not really believing you, right? You can tell me, and I'm going to go, uh-huh, uh, that sounds really, really strange, because these are for you. These are for you to strengthen your faith. These are for you. Every now and then, God says, I'm here. I'm here. R.C. Sproul says we live... With a profound absence of God. We don't see him. We don't feel him. We can't taste him. We don't smell him. We have to believe him by faith. But it's great when these little God incidences happen in our life. Can't expect them. They're unexpected. But they're awesome. This is what happened then. A God incident. Luke 2, 6-7. through 7, And while they were there the first time. And while they were there the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus came in humility. He came in humility. In simple language, Luke writes without any fanfare that she gave birth. (laughs) Mary gave birth to the most significant person ever to live and Luke writes, she gave birth to her firstborn son. No angels appeared with trumpets blaring. No loud voice from heaven resounded. No loud voice that sounded like Charlton Heston. No searchlights blazed across the skies that the Son of God was born. No, a young girl and her husband alone, far from all family and friends, delivered the Savior in all humility. Max Lucado again. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable. Through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror. But as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. This baby had overlooked the universe. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. Meanwhile, the city hums. The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God into the cold. No silk. No ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Angels watched. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. Isn't that awesome? How did the king of the universe come to our world? Jesus came in humility. And who did he come to? Well, Jesus came to the humble. Jesus came to the humble, Luke 2, 8-20. through 20. I want to ask you this, if you had news to spread, great news, news that you wanted the whole world to hear, would you start, would you start out by telling a homeless encampment living under a freeway overpass by the LA River, is that how you would start spreading the gospel? No. Okay, would you give the news then to uh, a group of prostitutes in a shadowy section of Hollywood Boulevard? I would think not. But this is how God chose to spread the news. These are the types of people to whom this good news would really be good news. And let me explain. You think shepherds are pretty cool and they were respected in society. Well, a lot had happened since the time of Abraham and David. The Pharisees had downgraded the shepherd's status. Now the shepherds were the outcasts of society, the lowliest of the low. You may have thought these guys were special to have this announced to them, but in Jesus' time they were seen as thieves and criminals, unreliable and untrustworthy. This good news of great joy for all people that a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord was heralded to gangbangers. That doesn't say that literally in the text. But can you think of anyone more unreliable than a gangbanger? A lying, thieving, adulterous, murderer? That's how the shepherds were perceived. And if we we want to put it in current parlance, that's the kind of people Jesus went to. Why? Why did he go to those kind of people? Well, Jesus himself said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 1 Peter 5.5 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God has always revealed himself to those who are the most hurting or in the most desperate need spiritually. This is why Jesus came to the humble. Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you're saved tonight, if you're saved this morning, if you still think it's night, wake up. If you're saved this morning, it's because you have acknowledged that you are a wretch, and there was nothing you could do to win God's favor. You humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he lifted you up, didn't he? He brought you out of darkness and into the light when you repented and took yourself off the throne of your life and put Jesus there instead. He came to the humble. He still comes to the humble. I want to ask you, where are you with Jesus this morning? Are you trusting in your own goodness, your own righteousness to get you to heaven? Maybe you've trusted in religion. Maybe you still identify yourself as a good Protestant and you use these names like I'm a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or maybe a combination of all three, a Prespo-Bapto-Metho-Luth. God doesn't care. He doesn't care how you call yourself apart from are you a follower of Jesus Christ. You take his name on you. If you take his name, then you're saved. Maybe you're a Catholic. Doesn't care. He doesn't care whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic. He cares that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and him alone. Maybe you think you're a good person by your own standards. You're all right, you think. You come to church every week. You're doing your duty. It means nothing. To come to church to earn favor with God, it doesn't work that way. My daughter asks me, do you think everybody is a Christian that comes to church? I go, no. Some people just do their duty. We've been trained. We've got a Christian heritage, remember. No, you may think you're all right. You think I don't need to change. But Jesus warned, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Please consider the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. My daughter, at three and a half, because she was well trained in children's church, we were sitting around Christmas time watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special and one of the characters said, Luke 2.11, and immediately Jesus, immediately Didi, Cried out, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We went, What? She's three and a half. But this is what's even more amazing. A few months after that incident, she'd had a knockdown drag-out fight with my mom. You know how three-year-olds are, right? You know how five-year-olds are, right? She had a knockdown drag-out fight. There was tension and yelling and screaming on her part. And they made up. And they're driving up the hill into PV, and my daughter looked out the window and saw a cross on the hill. And she says, Mommy, I'm sure glad Jesus died for my sins. That's the important part. Unless you change and become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to save people from their sins, Jesus came to be with us, Jesus came in humility. Jesus came to the humble. What will you do with him this morning? Luke 2, 21 through 32. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Jesus came for all people. Jesus came for all people. Not only does the Lord appear to the weak and lowly, he also shows himself to those who are pure, not in their own eyes, but in God's eyes. Simeon is described as righteous and devout. Simeon wasn't a priest. Simeon was a good churchman. What's a churchman? A churchman is a a faithful man, like an elder of the church, who willingly comes to service and wants to come to service, to serve, to help, to bless. He was a faithful man. He was described as righteous and devout. Now another word for devout could be translated cautious. Simeon was a man who was cautious about how he lived his life before God cautious in obeying God honoring God and living according to his word. Proverbs 10:24 says what the wicked dreads will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Psalm 84:11 no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless or for those who walk uprightly. I like Psalm 37:4. Anyone know what that says? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give me that car? Well, no. What happens when you delight yourself in the Lord? He may give you the car. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He changes your heart. And your desires now change. And your desires become His desires. My life verse is Matthew 6, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What things? All the things you need. Things you desire. Things you want. Because as you're seeking Him... You're desirous, you're more desirous of Him. There are blessings with obedience. In Simeon's case, God gave him the desire of his heart by showing him the Messiah, the King who would bring the kingdom promised to David and Abraham long ago. And this kingdom included the Gentiles as well as the Jews. 30 through 32 says again For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. If you aren't Jewish, then you are a Gentile and the promise is for you. If you are Jewish, your Messiah has come and the promise is for you too. There are only two types of people in the world, Jews and Gentile. doesn't matter, men and women. doesn't matter. What matters is Jew and Gentile, and Jesus came to us. He came to all peoples. Jesus had one purpose on earth, one purpose. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is Jesus' mission statement. Why isn't this our mission statement? Why isn't this our main purpose too? Why aren't we proclaiming this good news from the rooftops? A savior is born, ladies and gentlemen. Why are we afraid to mention the J word? Maybe we're too distracted with other things. We're busy. Not only are we Americans, we're Californians. Not only are we Californians, we're Southern Californians. Not only are we Southern Californians, we live in LA. We don't even have time To sit, to think, to meditate, we're too busy, we certainly don't have time, or we're too embarrassed to talk about Jesus. Oswald J. Smith, a missionary, said, Oh my friends, we are loaded down with countless church activities, while the real work of the church, that of evangelizing and winning the lost, is almost entirely, entirely neglected. The body of Christ is not a pleasure cruiser on its way to heaven, but a battleship stationed at the very gates of hell. Some of you signed up to be a Christian thinking you were going on a three-hour cruise. You think life as a believer is sitting on an island with Gilligan, maybe drinking a little umbrella drink. No, we're on a battle cruiser. Do you have an overwhelming desire to see the lost saved? If not, why not? Do you know anybody right now who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Any of you out there need, know somebody who needs to be saved? Yeah. Right. If you don't know, you ain't asking, you ain't looking, you ain't caring. And it's probably your family members. And they're scary to talk to, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Give me a stranger anytime. That way I can preach the word and run. It excited Simeon to see the one who could save the world. Are you excited too? Charles Spurgeon said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. I didn't say it. Verses 33 through 35. And his father... And his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus came to bring judgment. Jesus came to bring judgment. Those who view themselves as being in right standing before God on their own merit will fall because they refuse to humble themselves, repent of their sins, and put their trust in the Savior. John three thirty six says "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on you if you are not a born-again Christian, you're born a child of wrath, and there is nothing you need to do to go to hell. You know that? there's nothing further you need to do to go to hell. If you're an unbeliever this morning, you just leave out of here. you can say, Ah guys, me." You can go downstairs. You can go to the next church. You can go do your religious duty next week. You you can stay the way you are. There's nothing you have to do to gain admittance to hell. Nothing you need to do. John 3.18 says, this is Jesus. We all remember John 3.16. What about John 3.18? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The status of of the unbeliever, right now, is condemned already. It's as if you're on death row, you've been pronounced guilty, you're just anticipating the sentence to be carried out. And it could be this very day, could it not? Tomorrow is promised to no man. Today is the day of salvation. If you are unsaved, you need to get right with God, you need to repent, put your trust in Jesus, When the elders come up forward up here at the end of the service, you may want to come forward and say, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. Or you may leave here today saying, I hate that hellfire preaching stuff. I'm going down the street again. I want to feel good. Church isn't about feeling good. The Believers make you feel good. The preacher makes you feel bad, so you turn to Jesus. (laughs) But there's a way that you can change that condemnation to commendation. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful promise. Repent today, turn away from your sins, trust in Jesus. Luke 2.35, this is said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This was a prophetic statement referring to the anguish Mary would feel as she watched her son die a horrible death on a cross as the payment for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine, Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die. Jesus was born to die so that we may live by dying to ourselves. Isn't that a great paradox? Isn't that poetic? Jesus was born to die so that we may live by dying to ourselves. That was the cost for our rebellion. Jesus dies. That's the gospel. Now why? Why did Christ have to die? Hebrews 9 says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. He had to die. Let me illustrate it to you this way. There once was a ruler who discovered that a thief had broken into the royal treasury. He announced that the criminal would be publicly flogged for his crime. When the soldiers caught the thief they hauled the crook before the ruler as he sat in his judgment seat. There in chains before him stood the frail, weak form of the ruler's own mother. Without flinching, he orders the old woman to be bound to the whipping post in front of him. When she is secured tightly, the ruler stood up, laid down his imperial scepter, set aside his jeweled crown, took off his royal robes, and covered the tiny old woman with his own body. Bearing his back to the whip, he orders the punishment to start. Every blow meant for the criminal lands with full force upon the naked back of the ruler until the last lash fell. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we could become righteous. The full wrath of God fell upon Jesus because of our sin. 1 John 4, 9-10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The birth narratives end with a little old woman who lived in a temple (laughs) and waited and fasted and prayed for the coming of the Messiah to save her people from their sins. 36 through 38 in Luke 2, and there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. God has revealed first to righteous people, Mary and Joseph, then to unrighteous people, the shepherds, Then to a righteous man, Simeon, and now to a righteous woman, Anna. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Jesus came to be with us. Jesus came in humility. Jesus came to the humble. Jesus came for all people. Jesus came to bring judgment. Jesus came to die. Because Jesus came, salvation has come. Salvation has come. Anna's response should be our response to that great news. Thank God and speak, to, to, speak of Him to all. Don't you think? Thank God and speak of Him to all. Go tell it in the cities. Go tell it on the beaches. Go tell it in the valleys. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. You don't have to wait till Christmas to tell this Christmas story. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that this Christmas story is a story that can be told every day of every week, of every month, of every year. Thank you that we get to reflect on this story in a, from a different time. The Christmas tree is down. No one even thought of a Christmas tree. No one thought about gifts. No one thought about the shopping and the family coming over and the food. No one thought about that. It was all about you this morning. It was all about Jesus Christ and what he came to do. I pray that throughout the course of this day, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we would give all the glory to you. I pray that the rest of this week we would give glory to you. Thank you, God. For those who don't know you, may they reflect on their sad and desperate condition and come forward when the elders come forward and get saved this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We want to worship you now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God. And also.